0: Hello, it's Pastor Malcolm here with the service for Sunday, the 6th of November. Today, as a church, we are beginning a two-year journey with an organisation called Share Jesus International. They're going to be coming alongside us for the next two years to help us become better at sharing Jesus in our local community and with our neighbours and friends. Andy Frost, an evangelist, will be speaking today. But first, let's spend some time in worship. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you that none compares with you. Father God, we can pursue many things in life. We can pursue material possessions. We can pursue our careers. We can pursue wealth. Lord, we can pursue other gods, but nothing compares with you. Lord, we want to put you first. At the beginning of our worship today, in our lives, Lord, your word says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given you as well. And so, Father God, today we just want to come and put you first in our lives and worship you and say, Lord, you are the one who has brought this world into being. You are the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. You are the one who breathes life into our lives. You are the one who was given of yourself in Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for us, who was, his body was broken and his blood shed oh father god that we might live that our sins may be forgiven that we might be made new in Christ and through Christ thank you that he died but death could not hold him thank you that he came alive again thank you that on the third day he rose again and is coming again in glory oh father God thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to fill us afresh to empower us day by day to renew us to enable us to love and serve you Father, we thank you that the devil has no hold over us because we are set free in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that there is no condemnation over us because we are forgiven and set free in Christ. And so, Father God, we come to you. We confess that, Lord, many times we stray from you. Many times we put our hearts on things of this world. Many times we worry about things that we shouldn't worry and we should trust you with. But Father God, would you come and fill us afresh today? Would you come, pour your Holy Spirit into our lives? Would you enable us to begin again today, to love you, to serve you, to live for you, to break the habits um, that that drag us down and to be set free to to serve you and worship you with a whole heart, with all our strength, with all our mind. Father God, we pray that in Jesus' name our lord our saviour our friend amen amen
1: thine be the glory risen conquering son endless is the victory thine own death as one At the folded grave close Where thy body lay Thine be the glory Risen, conquering Son Endless is the victory Thine own death has won Lord Jesus, meet us Risen from the tomb, lovingly he greets us, scatters fear and gloom. Let the church with gladness hymns of triumph sing, for her Lord now liveth, death has lost its day. risen, conquering Son. Endless is a victory, thine own death has won. No more we doubt thee, glorious Prince of Life. Life is not without thee, aid us in our strife. Make us more than conquerors through thy deathless love. Lead us in thy triumph to thy home above. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son.
2: one. Hey, good morning. It's great to be here with you all. Good, morning. good to see you all. So yeah, my name's Andy Frost. I'm based in southwest London as well, so I'm near in Park, so I'm not too far from here, so it's good to be here with you in wonderful Teddington. And um, my dad was a Methodist minister, and I grew up in the church, but as a kid, I began to rebel against the whole thing. I think I thought, is God really real? Or if he is real, perhaps he's just as distant up there somewhere. So I began to try and work out what is the meaning of life, according to Andy Frost. So I went out, I, in my teenage years, tried to party quite a lot. and remember one night, uh, drank too much. The following morning, woke up, looking, hang on a sec. There's got to be something more to life than this. A uh, real mess. And um, kind of praying this kind of short prayer, saying, God, if you're real, show me more who you are. At the age of 18, I went to go and work on a camp in America for a company called Camp America. It's a very clever name. And I had to work out what can I teach American young people. I looked on this list and I thought, okay, drama, okay. Archery, that can't be too hard. Just pull back and fire. I'll tick that box. Uh, I was missing one thing on this list. And I saw Bible stories on this list. Well, I thought, hang on a sec. I grew up in the church. I know Bible stories, so I tick that box. Next thing that happens, I got put in a Salvation Army evangelistic camp working with gang members, okay? So it pretty <laughs> seems like I get flown in, and uh, they kind of pick me up from the airport, and they bring me to this kind of camp, and there were all these kids, about 12, 13 of them, we got to look after for the week. And they have tattoos of the gangs they are in, and then bullet holes and stab wounds, yeah. And they all had a kind of one leg rolled up like this, and were like, yo, what's up, homie? How's it going, dog? I was like... Hello. I'm from England. A cup of tea. And uh, my job was to tell these guys about Jesus. I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm going to become a Christian martyr, even though I don't believe it. Um, but having been flown from the UK, I didn't really feel I could just say, you've got the wrong man. So I kind of gave it a go. And in my head, I understood what the gospel was all about. But I wasn't living it in any way at all. As I began to share what the gospel was about over this kind of summer period, I saw time and time again, people encounter the grace and the truth and the love of God. This one guy who'd done horrendous things on his knees, weeping before the cross as he discovered God's love for him. I was there just going, Wow. It works. (laughs) See, God is still in the business of transforming and changing lives. As we think about mission this Sunday morning, it's this good news that we have that can transform and change lives—the very presence of God, which helps us to know our calling, what we're all about. We're going to read a passage in Acts 17, uh, verses 16 onwards. It's quite a long passage. Let me kind of read to you guys and. uh, now, I'll point out three points from it. Not five. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting in the But They said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. I would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Ophelagos and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made that world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the and a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Father God, if we just unpack these ancient uh, words from Scripture now, this ancient story of Paul, we pray, God, that you would speak into our context here today in Teddington, and southwest London. May you reveal more of who you are and more of what you have in store for us to do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I know there are two different types of drivers. There are some drivers who always have a full tank of petrol. Now, where they're going, always filling up the is absolutely at the brim of petrol. There were others who like to see how far they can get without running out of petrol. I see you are kind of, you are, yeah, okay. See, so I used to be a, see how far I can get until I had a number of occasions when it went horribly wrong. And it's the most embarrassing thing when you have to kind of pull in near the car and then walk to the petrol station, spend about eight pounds in one of those kind of green containers and then stand up amongst the queue of cars of your container like, like you're pretending to be a car. <laughs> Finally kind of filling it up, filling up the car. It's so embarrassing. So I, I've now become a, a full tank on a man. I imagine that as Paul gets to Athens, he's feeling pretty empty. His friends have left him, was there by himself in this massive city. 40,000 people. This place was a centre of where culture was being formed and created. Quite an intimidating place. And yet, Paul, perhaps he was running on empty, but in this place, he makes space to be open to God. And the slides have got Acts 17. This first verse for me, Will we are the slide. Any moment now. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. It says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul is walking around the city. He's kind of left his friends behind, he's there all alone, and yet he becomes distressed. The idea of distress, the idea of being provoked and angry and even exasperated as he sees this place full of idols what's interesting in that culture at that time every house had idols yet yeah, there's something about Athens and the, these idols everywhere that he kind of feels so perplexed by it that he begins to grieve what's going on in this place see I think he understood that in the scriptures people began to worship idols and they lost a sense of who they were and ended up destroying them and he's heartbroken as he walks around this city of Athens he remains open to God I guess my first challenge for you this morning is this. It's how open are we to God? We live such busy lives and charging around doing different things, looking at our phones, that often we don't spend enough time just being open to what God is saying. As we look at how we share our faith, it starts with remembering again God's love and God's grace in our lives. The next slide down is this. Are we open to God? This whole idea of Emmaus isn't just about growing a congregation. It isn't about just doing good things. It isn't about just trying to get rid of that sense of guilt. It's about, first of all, being open to God and allowing God to remind us of why we do what we do. His goodness and his grace and the idols around us that we live in in this present moment. You we say, well, hang on a sec, Andy. Teddington hasn't got many idols, last time I looked. On the next slide down, I think we actually are surrounded by idols. By things that try and define who we are, that tell us what it means to live a good life. The idolatry perhaps of beauty or success or riches or whatever it might be. What we worship shapes how we see ourselves. What we worship shapes who we become. The first thing is, are we open to God? Are we open to God showing us again just how much he cares and loves for each of us? But also are we open to God in helping us see how he loves the people of this place? How he longs for them to know him personally, not to be constrained by idols. So the first thing is, are we open to God? The second thing is, are we open to journeying? I once had this moment um, in my church office a few years ago when a lady walked in off the street, a young lady, probably kinda 18, 19 years old, walked into the office and said, "Hi there." I said, "Hi." Um, I was walking past the church and uh, I want to become a Christian. I said, uh, "Excuse me." I said, "Yeah, I've got no church background, but I was walking past and just felt I want to become a Christian. So, can I become a Christian, please?" I said, "Hey, uh, yeah." Yeah, sure, of course, of course you can. Yeah, let me um, help you, yeah. It can't blow my mind. It was incredible. Someone walked off the street and said, I want to become a Christian. That's happened once in my life so far. <laughs> Normally, it's much more of a journey with people over time. And a friend called Dave university, I spent three years kind of sharing my faith with him. Nothing happened, it seemed like. And yet recently I discovered he'd actually become a Christian. Those things that had been sown into his life all those years ago, Even on a journey. Are we open to journeying with people as they explore more of what it means to be a Christian and what it is to know God? Acts 17, next few verses down, says this So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? So Paul always began in the synagogue with the Jewish people. And then he goes to the marketplace. And you might be thinking, okay, marketplace, he kind of went to an old, school version of Tesco, basically. Or Waitrose, I'm not sure what that's kind of too. But no, and the, the marketplace, the word is agora. Can you all say say agora? agora? Try again. You all sound like pirates. It's a fantastic agora.
1: <laughs>
2: the agora is the marketplace, but it's more than just a place of shopping. So next slide down. It was a place where there was shopping, there was a marketplace, but more than that, it was also the place where media was done, where news was shared from across the empire of what was happening. It was a place of finance or of business. It was a place of the arts where culture was shared and shaped. What's interesting for me is that Paul, he begins in the synagogue, then he goes to the agora, he goes to the marketplace, that his faith wasn't just for the religious institutions. everywhere you are living in this place and i guess the question is where is your agora where is the marketplace where god has called you to be perhaps your street perhaps your local coffee shop perhaps your work perhaps your family perhaps your business where is the place where god has called you to share more of who he is Verse 18 is that word debate. And you almost You can picture like a, a big old debate taking place. More than that, it's more of like a dialogue. The term means a dialogue, a kind of conversation. That Paul was having a conversation with different people. And he meets some Epicureans and some Stoics. The Epicureans believe that God created the world and kind of left. And the most important thing in life was just to be happy. How can we make ourselves happy? This is the meaning of life. The Stoics, on the hand, believed that everything could be understood by natural laws. So that things were spiritual too. They didn't believe in a creator God, and they, they had this sense that actually the most important thing was just to be good, to behave ourselves. Interestingly, that these two different philosophies—be happy and be good—are actually quite common, I think, in our culture here today as well. And Paul is speaking into this context. And they begin to mock him. They begin to say, what is this babbler trying to say? The word babbler is the idea of like a bird kind of pecking at seeds like this. of like calling him a babbler. They're kind of being quite rude. What is this babbler trying to say? He doesn't seem to be coherent. The things he's speaking about the resurrection, they don't understand. But what's interesting to me is that Paul is undeterred. He keeps on going, he keeps on sharing, and because of that, he begins to journey with those people who he's having a conversation with. So he ends up going to the Oropagus, which is an amazing place to share more of his faith. But in this journey, there are times, I guess, as we're journeying with our friends, journeying with our colleagues, sharing our faith, but it can be challenging to speak about our faith. and Often we can be, I think, consumed by fear. Anyone have experienced this at all? Yeah, a few people. Yeah, and um, I guess from my experiences of fear a few years ago, I, I don't know why, but I took up boxing, <laughs> and uh, I did a, a short white collar boxing thing where you you box for three months and you have a fight. And um, about two weeks in, in we our first sparring session where you kind of practice hitting people in the face, and it was bizarre. And you have some people there who are who are super um, polite, and who kind of hit you and go, "Oh, so sorry, <laughs> you okay? I'm <laughs> oh, fine, you okay? Oh." Ah. And there were others who just looked like they want to fight generally and just looked like they're out most nights nice fighting. And I got pitched against a guy who looked like he just enjoyed fighting. And so he starts going at me. He meant to be sparring like soft punches, but his punches weren't soft. So I started hitting him back, so I was scared. And he kept hitting me back. And that night, I was kind of at home thinking, what have I done? This, my face hurts. My head hurts. I began Googling, you know, brain damage and boxing. How serious is this? <laughs> I thought, you know what, I'm not gonna go back again. I'm too scared to go back. And I'm gonna think, oh, but I've committed to doing this thing, perhaps I'll just do it anyway. Oh, what should I do or not? Oh, I'm a bit scared. Oh. I thought, I oh, know, I'll go back, because next time I go back, I'll be in a different group, a different person, be absolutely fine. I'll go back the following week. And the main coach says, Right, everybody, back in the same groups, same partners, go again. I'm like, no. And this guy says to me, um, hey, uh, last time, I had a few headaches. Should we go soft today? And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. It's a really good idea. Let's do that. <laughs> little soft punches. Very nice. Um, well, that's not how you box. It's not. It wasn't that bad. But yeah. <laughs> but interesting, isn't it, how fear can grip us. Actually, even being part of this boxing gym, I was known as, oh, that's Andy the Christian. And I often got mocked at various times for being a Christian. And yeah, actually, on the one-on-one conversations... Can you pray for this? Or, hey, can you just help me out with this? Or, what's this all about? That actually we begin to own our faith in those public spaces and the of ours. we begin to get opportunities. Fear cannot hold us back. We'd be able to share and communicate more of who God is. So, the idea of being open to God, first of all, being open to receive again His love, to look around society and say, there's something wrong here. God, show me what you want to show me. Second, we're open to journeying. Are we willing to journey with people over time, the weeks, months, and years that sometimes it takes in that journey of faith? And the third thing is, are we open to painting? i have heard that story, I love that old story there, of a girl at school, and she's painting away. And the teacher goes, uh, what are you painting? She says, I'm painting a picture of God. The teacher goes, ah, but no one knows what God looks like. The girl goes, they will in a minute. <laughs> the third thing is actually how do we paint a picture of who God is? The next slide down in Acts 17, Paul ends up at the Oropagus um, and he says these words where he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So he ends up speaking at the Areopagus. Next slide down, which is this basically rocky outcrop in Athens, 50 feet high, and it's where the supreme court of Athens met. They were surrounded by pieces of religious art, and it had a big temple behind it—the temple to Athena, the goddess of war. And some of the key thinkers of his time were there to listen to Paul and to debate with Paul. Almost imagine giving a lecture to some of the greatest thinkers from Oxford and Cambridge University. This is kind of what it's like for Paul all the way back then. And Paul isn't afraid of the opportunity, but he steps up into the opportunity. As we begin to journey with people over time there will become these moments where we actually get to share what we believe or why we believe what we believe or something of our story and Paul grasps this opportunity because he wants to paint a picture of who God is. What's interesting is this is that it begins with those words I see that in every way you are very Religious he doesn 't stop by condemning them, but actually affirming them that actually there's something about you people that that you you 're very religious, and he begins to use the things that are part of their culture to begin to paint a picture of who God is rather than starting with Jewish history. He begins with what he sees all around him. This next question for me is one of the key things as you begin to share and communicate our faith is this. Mm -hmm. What is God already doing? We don't have to bring God to people. God is already at work. We've got to tease out what is God already doing in their lives? What is God already doing in their culture? He says, I see you are very religious. Then he took that as altar, To an unknown God. I'm gonna explain who this God is for you. I think as I listen out in different conversations, we often hear phrases like I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or people who carry a real sense of guilt in their lives. Or people who say, I don't really believe, but but I do pray. There are things that God is already doing in their lives. And the question is, what is God doing? How do we begin to tease those things out? I think, particularly over the last season with the pandemic and even the Queen's death, people are much more aware of their own mortality. That actually creates opportunities to have conversations about faith. Before we do anything, stop and ask the question, what is God already doing here? As we look for how we paint a picture of who God is. Next slide down. Paul kind of goes into detail here. There's some great kind of things here. He talks about there being just one God. And he says that actually this God can't be contained in temples. And he's saying this with the temple as a backdrop. I and mean, that's quite controversial, Paul. But he does anyway. And he says, it's not just my God. But this is our God, a God of all creation. And the creation has clues. They point to a creator. He talks about a God who wants to be found. God that isn't hiding but wants to be known. And he draws upon their own poets again. In this kind of little bit of scripture, Paul paints a picture of what God is like. In this culture, there are many different gods. You had the god Hermes, next slide down, who was a god of business. And you had the god Poseidon, who was the god of sea. And you had the God as hero, as protector of marriage. All of these different gods. And you had to keep doing and doing and doing things, trying to earn these gods to bless you, or to give you the right thing, or to give you a good business, or the right passage for your travel. You kept having to do more and do more and do more. And I think in our culture today, we often live in a place, we often think, I've got to do more, I've got to do more, I've got to do more. I've got to do more to be accepted. I've got to do more to be successful. I've got to do more to be loved. And it ends this Culture next verse is down. Paul talks about the importance of repentance. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. The idea of changing direction, the idea of having our minds shifted and changed, the idea of stepping into our true identity, that we are children of the living God. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He talks about Jesus and judgment. And he talks about, as he shares these things, that, again, that some <coughs> respond. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Some sneered. And some wanted to hear Paul again. Paul has the opportunity to continue to journey with some people. In that culture, then it was do, do, do. Do more to get this God or this goddess to like you. Do more, do more, do more, do more. And yet Paul in this picture paints an image of God and says actually, next slide down, it's not about doing, it's about it is done. That Ultimately Christ has done it all. That through his life, his death and his resurrection we can know Father God personally. As we begin on this journey of Emmaus, there's next slide down, which says three things. Are we open to God? To receiving a fresh woman, to reminding again why we do what we do. As we look around the streets, just being aware of the idols that surround us and wanting people to be free from those idols. Are we open to journeying with people? as they begin to explore faith, really praying with them, to come alongside them, to help them become disciples of Jesus. And are we open to painting? Painting a picture of who God is as those opportunities arise. Just be quiet right now. Don't want to bow your head and close your eyes. this morning right now, perhaps you want to open up your life afresh to God. You want God to remind you again of that first love, of how much he loves you. How much God likes you. Perhaps this morning, God just wants to give you a fresh sense of the idolatry in our communities, the things that are robbing people of their true sense of worth. Perhaps this morning for the people you've been journeying with for a long time, you've been praying for them for seasons, but nothing seems to budge. Perhaps this morning is about saying, I'm going to commit to praying for that person going forwards." I will not give up. Perhaps this morning you need to look for the opportunity in the week ahead to begin to paint a picture of who God is, with the way you live your life, but also the words you speak with that question, what is God already doing?
0: Thank you for joining with us today and we give thanks for the uh, message today and for Andy Frost and we look forward to the journey that we're going to share with Chair Jesus International here at Blackhorse Road Baptist Church. So we pray that you would have a good day and a good week and let's just say the grace together to close. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us all now and forever. Amen.